Father, as we look at the account of Christ taking on humanity, taking on the human form, and we consider the meaning of why Christ came and for whom he came. Father, I pray that uh, you would strengthen our faith, the believers here, our love for Christ. And for those who don't know you yet, Father, that you might draw them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 2 that's Scott just read, the multitudes of angels, maybe millions, that filled the sky said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The question of the sermon is this. Peace for whom? The birth of Christ, the point of Christmas. Who is it peace for? Who experiences the peace that came to us because of Christ? Now, that verse might be different than the way maybe you memorized it or have heard it. The King James Version of that verse says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And sometimes when we look at English translations, and they differ from each other. Sometimes it's because there's uh, two different ways in the English to say what the Greek text says. And, and so they mean the same thing, but the words might be used a little different if you have the NIV or ESV. And other times it's because of what they call uh, manuscript variants. Uh, so the King James Version of the Bible was uh, produced, this Greek manuscript. Uh, the first one, uh, complete one ever written, was by a man named Erasmus. And he had between 6 to 12 Greek uh, manuscripts to work from when he tried to lay out uh, his uh, New Testament manuscript. And for almost 400 years, the English-speaking church, what they had was the King James Version, and praise God for it. But since that time, uh, we've been able to collect and find and look at uh, over 5,700 manuscripts. And, and manuscript uh, uh, fragments. And so the modern texts 
your ESVs, your NASBs, uh, your NIVs, your New Living Translations, all are going to say something like this. Here's what the NASB says. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The NIV says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Uh, and, and so you can see the difference in reading. And the difference in the Greek text that Erasmus was looking at and the text that the modern Greek scholars are looking at was one letter. It would be like an S in the English language. Uh, and the reason why the modern translations... Uh, say, kind of like DSV says, peace among those with whom he is pleased, is because the oldest manuscripts, that's how they all read. Erasmus was using manuscripts in the, uh, that were written about 1200. And one letter was dropped off uh, over time and changed uh, how that would be translated. But it's interesting. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the Christmas text and we're going to ask, whom does peace come to? So this is one section of the whole uh, account. And one of the things that we realize is God's peace comes to those whom he chooses to set his favor on. Marshall a commentator says this, the phrase means those upon whom God's will or favor rests and expresses the thought of God's free choice of those whom he wills to favor and save. Salvation peace belongs to those whom God is pleased to give it. It is not a reward for those who have good will, but a gracious gift to those who are objects of God's good will. Peace comes to those whom God chooses to give the peace to. If you look at the doctrine of salvation, salvation starts with God. God is the actor. God deserves all the glory, and God deserves all the grace. In fact, in the song we just sang, one of the lines in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, one verse says this, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more shall die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. You realize that the problem of all humanity is a problem humanity cannot solve in and of themselves. When Adam and Eve sinned, mankind died spiritually. So that if they were to live again, the creator would have to give life where there was no life. And we know from the scriptures 
that salvation begins for a believer in the decree of God before the foundations of the earth. In fact, that word, eudikai, uh, is used one other time in Luke, and it's in Luke 10, 17. And if you want to turn there, it's an interesting passage uh, where Jesus sends out the 72, and they cast out demons, and they're all excited that they even have authority over demons. And here's what Jesus says to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. They were rejoicing in this newfound power they were given. He says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are are written in heaven. Interesting thing to say. And then he says this. Uh, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your Eudikia, gracious will. It pleased you to hide the truths of Christ from the wise and the understanding and to reveal them to children. This is taught all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Psalm 115 uh, verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God does whatever God wants to do. And God never does wrong. Psalm 135.6 says this, Whatever the Lord pleases... He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, when his reason finally returned to him, what he said? He said, I blessed the Lord most high and praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will amongst the hosts of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar knew that this was God. The God who does whatever God wants to do. And no one in heaven and no one on earth can stay his hand and say, what are you doing? And why are you doing it that way? In fact, when Peter, the first one to tell Christ, proclaim Jesus to be the Christ, other than demons in the gospel, the first one was Peter. 
in, in Matthew 16, 15, Jesus said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He calls him by his old name, his fleshly name. Here's an opportunity for Peter to become proud. The first one to say, you are the Christ. But the first thing Jesus says to him is, blessed are you. He doesn't say, you're smart. You're brilliant. You figured it out. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Peter's flesh and blood, right? He didn't figure it out. But my Father who is in heaven. That's how you said that, Peter. You made the confession that I am the Christ and that couldn't have come from your own will. You're blessed. This is what John teaches in his gospel. John 6, 44. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. In fact, the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, listen how Paul says this. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Remember how Paul got saved? Was he looking for Jesus? No, he was persecuting Christ. And Christ saved him. Christ gave him new sight. And he knows he's an apostle by the will of Christ. And then he says to believers in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, it, with which he had blessed us in the beloved. And then in verse 11, he he gives the all-encompassing statement when he says in Ephesians 1.11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not only the salvation of believers, but everything. If we were to look through the gospel of John over and over again, he came to his own, uh, John 1.11, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, how did that happen, right? They're spiritually dead. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, wasn't human willing, nor the will of man, but of God. 
That's who believed in him. Those who were born of Christ. And are you familiar with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. Anyone who believes in Christ will have eternal life, John says. But then he says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So we should ask the question, well, whosoever believes in him will be saved. It seems like the choice of man is how a person is saved. That's what he just said. It's true. Whoever believes in Christ will be saved, will not be condemned. But then the very next verse, in verse 19, he says this, and this is the judgment. So he just said, whoever believes will be saved. But he says, this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So if you do evil deeds and you're evil, then you will not come to the light of Jesus Christ because why would someone who's dirty want to be exposed by the light? But what do we know? Many of you are trusting in Christ. Many did believe. And so he says in that final verse, verse 21, he says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, there's an order to salvation. It starts in the will of God when he sets his favor on whom he sets his favor on. And then God calls them and gives them the new birth and opens their eyes. And then when a sinner has his eyes open to see the horror of his own sin, and the grace of God in the person of Christ, the sinner freely of his own will in his new found light, when God opens his eyes, what does he do? He trusts Christ. What does a baby do when a baby's born? The first thing a baby does is <gasps> takes a breath of air. And when a believer... When a lost sinner is born again, their first breath they take is faith. Because now they see. They've heard the gospel a hundred times. Maybe been disinterested. The majority of those times, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, what's the difference? The time when all of a sudden it makes sense. 
And then we could just keep going in John. John 10, 24. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name witness about me. And then verse 26 says this, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and is no, one is, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. And in case they missed it in John 15, 16, he just plainly told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the in the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And not only did I choose you, but I chose you that you would bear fruit. And you're not just going to bear fruit, but your fruit's going to last. Because the birth Christ gives, there is no stillborn birth. When the Holy Spirit brings about the new birth, The child lives and abides. And so when the angels decided, multitudes of them, to reveal themselves to shepherds, they wanted to reveal that God is speaking peace upon those whom his favor rests. Now, we should read every text in the context of the whole passage. And so let's look at the Christmas story. And let's ask the question, who is God's peace for? And the answers we're going to find are the bullet points in your notes. And if I was going to summarize the bullet points, they would fall in these three categories. For the children of promise, you could call them the elect, both Jews and Gentiles. For those who desperately know they need a savior, we could call them the humble. And for those who believe, no one will be saved apart from believing in Jesus, Jesus Christ. And yet, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, what we know from the scripture is God has done a supernatural work. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. And so let's ask the question to the Christmas narrative and read it together. In the sixth month, so we're going to start in Luke 126. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. So Mary found favor in God. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, saying, and, or she was greatly troubled by, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He will be great, and he'll be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So who is this peace that Christ brings for? We could say for those whose hope is in the promises to David and to Jacob. The Old Testament has been promising a Savior. To David and to Abraham and anyone who was setting their hope in that, that Savior before Christ was born was saved by that Savior. And the question for you is, do you believe the Old Testament? Do you believe the prophecies that pointed to one that would be born, a son of David and a son of Abraham, and would be born the son of God? Do you believe in that one is the question we all should ask ourselves. And in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month uh, with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And within that passage, our minds are stretched beyond capacity. The infinite God of the universe became a human being inside a woman on earth and grew just like a normal human inside the womb so that now God has become a man. And in verse 39 we read, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Ju Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leapt uh, in my womb, leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here's who will be saved by Christ. Those who believe God's word. Mary believed what God had spoken to her. Unlike Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, right? If Zechariah's standing there, I'm guessing he, he, he kind of had to slouch a little bit. <laughs> Blessed are you. You believed when you were told what was going to be done for you. And so we learn that peace comes to believers, those who believe the truthfulness of God's word. And then in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name is, and his holy And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Peace is for those who see they need God to save them, like Mary did. This is where the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary was sinless. But that's awfully odd. When you look at the text of Scripture, when we've already been told that God showed Mary favor to Mary, God had blessed Mary, and Mary understands this because what well, we read in verse 47 is, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why would a sinner ever need saving? And yet Mary knew that she needed saving. Remember that one time Jesus was teaching? Someone said, blessed, blessed is the breast whom, at whom you nursed with, something like that. Blessed is your mother, basically. And Jesus said, blessed rather are those who believe the word of God. You see, he had opportunity to lift Mary up and make her extra special deify her, but he never did that, and Mary never did that. She knew she needed a Savior, and verse 50 just says it clearly, right? His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That, that, that did, fear him means have reverence for him. Blessed are those who know they're created. Not only do they know they're sinners, but they know They're created, and He is God. Those are the ones whom God shows mercy. And then we see in verse 51, whom His peace is not for. 
We know that the angels didn't say, God's given general peace to the whole earth because that just didn't happen. In fact, a lot of little baby boys were violently murdered at, after the birth of Christ. Peace didn't show up on the earth in that way. Because he says in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. So Mary sings this wonderful song. And in her song, she says, this child will scatter the proud. Who are the proud but those who think they need no savior? Those who have forgotten that they are to honor and glorify God with their lives and they have fallen short because to fall short of the glory of God is how the scripture defines sin and everyone has fallen short of his glory. And then she says, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. So he's not for the proud and mighty, but he's for the humble and the hungry. And then she says, or, and, and then Mary says, and the rich he has sent away empty. And it reminds me of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's like a progression. Blessed is the one who is poor in spirit, says, I have nothing to offer God. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are the meek who don't think they can go win their way by their own strength. Blessed are those who, at this point of being an utter, a beggar, hunger and thirst for that which they don't have, which is righteousness. And that's what Mary's saying here. She's saying those who are hungry and those who are poor, <laughs> this one is going to feed them and satisfy them and make them exalted and rich. And so we see with the coming of Christ, it's peace for some and judgment for others. And then look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, he spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so the idea here is, is that Christ is for those whom God had promised to Abraham and to his seed. And we know when we read Romans that it's the children of promise that are the true Israel, that are the true seed of God, those of God's own choice. You're not born a believer. You're not born into a family and that's a certain family and that's why you're saved. But it's the 
to keep his promise to Abraham that he has a seed for him. And then we read in verse, just for the sake of time, let's go to verse 67. This is now Zechariah being filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying about his son John. He says, Blessed be the Lord God, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So Jesus has come for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of his... Our, as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. And so he's saying to Israel that this Christ is your Savior. And just like the promise was to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Christ's people... He will save them from their enemies and those who are after them. And then he says, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of the enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all, the day, all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. Look how beautiful verse 77 is. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun, sunrise shall visit us on high. The sunrise visits his people on high because of the mercy of God. That's how people come to know Christ. And then in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe there's some here today sitting in darkness. Like Proverbs 4.18 and 19 talks about, it says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. And maybe you're here today and you're stumbling all over the place. And you're trying to figure out what the meaning of your life is. And you're trying to figure out how God can be good maybe because difficulty has come into your life and you've been stumbling around in darkness and you don't even know what you're stumbling over well Christ came to those who are sitting in darkness to show them what they're stumbling over it's their own sin but Christ has come to overcome your sin my prayer is that God's light shines on you. That Christ's birth means peace for you. That Christ's birth means light. And you say, wow, I've been living my whole life for myself. And I've been meant to be reconciled to God. And then he says... In verse 79, 
or we just went through 79. In, in Luke chapter 2, we're just going to move real fast now and finish. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and all the world that all the world should be reg registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee and went to the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a feeding trough, a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn and what we read is the most important, impressive, powerful man on earth, Caesar Augustus, he decided he's going to call for a census. Perfect. Because right now, the Son of God is in Nazareth, and he needs to be born in Bethlehem because Micah 5.2 said the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem. That was over 500 years before Christ was born. And so God is working through the most powerful man on earth to get his son to the city where he needs to be born in. And lo and behold, when they show up in Bethlehem, she gives birth to fulfill the prophecy. And we read in verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. Stinking shepherds. He didn't want to hang out with shepherds. Nobody wanted this job. Up all night, out in the cold, dealing with livestock. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. <laughs> and I think he's pointing to Israel there. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Just so you know that what I just said is true. The Savior's born. Here's the sign. The weirdest things. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a stinking feeding trough. No one's ever seen a baby in such a place. And yet God, being pleased to reveal himself to whomever he wills, picks shepherds. First picked Mary, now picks shepherds. And picks that his son would be born in a feeding trough as a sign to the shepherds so that the shepherds know that this thing has surely been done. And you see that peace is for the lowly shepherds and peace is for all the people. And then we get to the verse we read, glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. What's this peace talking about? Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of your sin, 
you don't have peace with God. You're separated from God in your sin without Christ. But if you have Christ, you have peace with God. And you have Christ if you'll have him. If you'll trust in him. If you'll say I'm a sinner. I have no hope apart from Christ. Acts 10.36 says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Or Colossians 1.20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, good people don't make it to heaven because there is no good people. You don't make peace with God by making a pact with God saying, I'm laying down a new leaf. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a better person. It's not how you make peace with God. God did on your behalf what you could never do. God chose a sacrificial lamb to take your place, sinner. He chose his son to be born of a woman, to grow up and to become the lamb of God so that when he was slaughtered in your place, you could have peace with him. Anyone who trusts in Christ, all your sins, past, present, and future, are wiped away. Totally covered by the blood of Christ. And not only that, Jesus' perfect righteousness is given as a gift of his grace to anyone who will trust in him. And my question for you all is, did he come for you? Will you have him? Do you need him? Are you hungry? Are you poor? Are you broken? Do you need the son of God who was born to bring peace and real quickly, verse 29, or verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had been revealed to him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your holy servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles for the glory your people Israel. Isn't that good news for us Gentiles? That Christ is a savior not only for Israel but to you and to I. And then in verse 33, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said 
to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And as Jesus Christ started his ministry and started preaching, people's hearts began to be revealed. How were they revealed? By their words. And they were opposed to Christ, most of them. And their hearts, these people of Israel that everyone thought was going to heaven, were revealed when they saw God in the flesh. Because he humbled them. He showed them their need for a savior. And they didn't want to hear that. They were going to be saved because they were Israelites. And so he came for some in Israel and not others, as we can see from that prophecy. And then look at verse 36. And there is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to to all who, and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus came for those who were waiting for Him. Those who knew they needed the Savior. Hebrews nine twenty eight says this. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So Jesus will come back again. He died on a cross for sinners to take their place. And after he died, he rose three days later. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming again to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been crucified to this world. And what that means is this. Before you thought this world is it. This is what it's all about. You're going to be satisfied in this world. Money, sex, drugs, status, power, But if you know Christ, you know how silly that is. And your true hope is coming. And your true hope is set on Christ. And so it's my prayer that this Christmas, every one of you would know that Christ came to bring you peace. That you would be among those who have humbled themselves and trusted in Christ. And then you can worship God and say, I never could have did that unless you worked in my heart. Father, we praise your name for this account. We praise you that it was your good pleasure to record exactly what happened in the scripture so that we could read it so that faith can awaken so that our love for you can grow father i pray that there would be no one here that would swing out into eternity none of us knows when we'll die that would swing out into eternity saying 
well, well uh, I'm going to give it a shot on my own. Father, I pray that everyone would trust in Christ, their only hope. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.